0: This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we decided to do another news roundup episode. In it, we talk about Syria, a general strike in Argentina, Alex Jones' family court problems, Antifa skirmishes, and the Nuge. I'm Jake, I'm with Communist League Tampa, and joining me tonight is Donald.
1: Hey, it's Donald, also from Communist League of Tampa. Lexi. Hey, Lexi from Red Party, recovering from the holidays. Alex.
2: Hey, I'm Alex from Communist League of Tampa as well.
1: And Patrick.
2: Um, Red Party in the house.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, before we get into... Because originally we were going to record the transitional program episode, uh, the Trotsky piece, but there was like scheduling things, and then there was like a lot of news shit that I felt like we could talk about, and we had enough material for like a news roundup episode. But before we get into some of the media subjects, there's a couple of things I want to do. One, I want there to be like a new segment called uh, Dude, I Called It. Um, (laughs) And this is referring to a previous episode where we talked about... Uh, uh with trump president it kind of has expanded the horizons politically of what is possible in terms of running for office uh particularly for the likes of kid rock and ted Nugent. and i think that you know our speculations about their political ambitions were confirmed in a recent visit to the white house did you guys see this
1: <laughs> no i did i no no jake no jake i didn't see it okay
0: so both uh for four hours um, on April 20th, uh, Ted Nugent, Kid Rock, and Sarah Palin visited uh, with Donald Trump at the White House. Uh, there's pictures online. You can feel free to look them up. They were asked about like, you know, what the substance of it was. And apparently like the whole meeting was like a payback to Sarah Palin for campaigning for Donald Trump or whatever. And then she just kind of invited Kid Rock and Ted Nugent along and her justification uh, for inviting him was that uh she goes ask why i invited kid rock and ted nugent i joked because jesus was booked so apparently like on sarah palin's like top list of people like uh wow. like, like ted nugent kid rocker like number one number two and three but ted nugent also said apparently when asked that it was more than just you know a payback for sarah palin and so i think you know i think there's a future for these two in politics
1: I'm I'm just yeah. speechless. It, I mean what, we we, what just we, gotta, we just
2: gotta we just gotta keep on going forward. Just we're all accelerationists now. Ever since the Beatles. Well now Ted Nugent is bigger than Jesus, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Topping list. Wait a minute.
1: Wait a minute. Does that mean like Steve Bannon created Ted Nugent? Like Adorno created the Beatles? <laughs> I mean, they are similarly. They are like just about as big. I,
3: as culturally I, significant. I mean, the next thing is going to be like an anime character running in the Republican primary. Like, <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. They're just going to write in some fuck. The alt-right frog posters are going to write in an anime character because they're pissed off at Trump.
4: <laughs> and, yeah. And it's it's I mean... going to happen. At one end, it is true that there are like wider possibilities for electoral politics now, but it seems to like be more just all towards the right and not to the left at all. Well, like, it's just all... easier for like demagogues celebrities to basically like create political campaigns just by like appealing to like the most base instincts of like the white majority or whatever.
1: I don't what know. If... I, I, Go yeah, on. I don't. I don't know where the subjectivity would be to make the kind of appeals necessary to make you know communist positions sound relatively palatable like there just isn't really a a place that i would expect that to come from and so i'm not seeing it articulated so of course something that's not being done doesn't work
3: actually there, there's one celebrity that could save us and offer up the communist position little b <laughs> little b uh, well please be political at all Yeah, he's actually becoming vaguely political on Twitter.
4: Huh. I was thinking Colin Kaepernick might be, like, the next, like, famous Marxist who's not a professor like Jinping.
0: So this brings me, transitions to my next segment, who is running for president this week? So apparently, high-level Democratic operatives approached uh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, currently the star of HBO's Veep, to run for office, essentially. And she told, of course, she had enough sense, you know, to tell them no way, but I thought this was, like, pretty indicative of, like, how desperate, like, the Democrats are that, like, anybody, like, somehow thought this was a good idea. Like, Elaine? Yeah, yeah, from Seinfeld, yeah, Elaine. She plays she plays the vice president on a HBO, like, comedy show called Veep, and so, like, some high-level Democratic operatives, she said, apparently ap- approached her and asked her to consider running.
1: It, well, in these situations, I, I think three things. And to try to be less obscure, there are like three waves of Marxists and like post-Marxist cultural theorists that I hold my head in my hands and I say that these people were right. So like, okay, like Adorno was right, um, the Situationists were right, and uh, Baudrillard is right. So that's what I mean by that. So my, he- my head is in my hands, and I'm saying that right now
4: oh it just well, reminds me of the hyper normalization theory that adam Curtis had in that movie kind of where like in today's political climate the only true be basically capitalist the, uh, the capitalist entrepreneur can be seen as like a rebel against the political managerial class types and you see this kind of like in the trump campaign where trump kind of tries to paint himself as like a people's candidate who's going up against the um you know the corrupt campaigns of um the democrats or whatever and he's, you know, this whole idea basically that like the market is more like democratic than anything else. It goes, it goes in with the Trump presidency. And this whole entrepreneurial like aspect that I think was appealing to a lot of Americans.
2: I think this could also partially be an example of the Democrats obviously taking the wrong lessons again from their failure. They like just refused to sort of look at the real reasons why they lost. A celebrity beat us. Maybe we should just run a celebrity.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's like,
2: oh. And, and they can't even get, like, they can't even get, like, a potlick.
0: Okay, fine. We'll run celebrities. But we can't do, we can't have basic cable celebrities. And we can't have, like, network TV. We got to have, like, if we're going to do this, let's get, like, premium TV, HBO. Yeah, it's got to be HBO
1: celebrities. <laughs> it's like. See, what happened uh, to Oprah? What happened to Oprah? Oprah was a great idea.
0: That yeah well that and that was that was like the one that I actually heard that could on this logic that could conceivably work but no like they want people it's either it would either it was probably on like a short list between like her uh, Amy Poehler because she was on that one liberal show right uh, but you know that's basic TV that's too basic and then the, probably somebody from the cast of Hamilton
4: or Lena like, that was probably
0: on their short list or yeah.
4: Lena
3: Lena Dunham. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, or maybe, yeah, or
4: maybe yeah, George
1: Costanza.
4: Uh, this just shows like the Democrats are not learning any lessons, and they're learning all the wrong lessons, which is fine with me because I want the party to die. Well,
1: yeah, and that's what, yeah, that's yeah but it's, it won't let them
4: it's, destroy themselves. Like, all and we can laugh at it while they do it because they're so embedded in the interests of financial capital that they're never going
1: to like. Yeah. Vote that far. Okay, but the problem is that un- until. The- <laughs> Subjectivity is blocked. Building a new alternative at the moment is sort of blocked. And so the more that the Democrats self-immolate, the more there's, I think you said this, that the right will be able to capitalize on the moment until there's like established centers of worker subjectivity. The self-immolation of the Democrats, besides exposing what is true about the Democrats, also... Uh, makes it appear that there are no options to the left because you know the actual left can't get its shit together.
0: I mean, as some of though maybe it's better actually that the democrats go away because you know the illusion of like controlled opposition is completely gone and yeah, that's a, I mean that's something that like actually debord kind of argues in like the society of the spectacle is that you know you basically the soviet union was a, a like concentrated spectacle where it was all centered yes. around like a single ideological focal point versus diffuse spectacles, which you get like in the west and in some ways you know histor- historically it bore out that you know uh diffuse spectacle was more effective at managing the population than concentrated spectacle because you know the capitalists can just kind of point their fingers all at you know 15 different people and you can have the population cherry pick like which source or which person or faction they want to blame you know
1: yeah but this is this is counter distinct to something that says that there needs to be democratic rights more or less to organize communist political work because in a a diffuse spectacle is just that kind of pluralist system of control that a bourgeois democratic state is a concentrated spectacle is is when you lose a lot of those. um, I I wasn't really saying
0: it would be better if we lived like in the Soviet Union or whatever. What I'm saying is that on some level, I think that if there was like, if, you know, the Republicans basically became like United Russia, you know, for America, which is what they're on track to being. In some ways, there might be an advantage to that because it kind of takes away the illusion that there's any kind of like we have a two, we really, we already really just have like one party, the party yeah. of the capital with two factions. If you take away that illusion that there's two parties, you know, that kind of, I think that helps to clarify the this, this situation in, you know, much starker terms.
1: Yeah, I just I distrust that logic to a, a degree because there's a lot of things that you could say clarify the situation that you don't really want to happen. Like, I don't I don't I wouldn't really want to see like what would happen to abortion access in that situation, for instance.
3: Like, yeah, also, I wouldn't like to see like like the weird all right people basically become like the only up op- only like up op- prominent opposition to like, exactly. To well, like, um, I mean, I'm
4: thinking it would be more like basically like all the Berniecrats will try to form their own party and their Democratic Party will be split. But even if this does mean reactionaries win, it's still like better for the labor movement because having multiple parties being able to contest each other for support and you know is a very important thing
2: to have, you know. And I don't know, and I think, I think, um, a sort of like strong, concerted reactionary opposition to rising workers will happen no matter what Um I don't know I think sort of uh, the defeat of the Democrats would spell a lot of good things as well I think um, like among many issues a lot a big issue holding back a group like the DSA which does have that they keep crawling back to the Democrats that there still is this safe party for them to climb back to and.
4: Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, it would force us system. to build our own party, and, like, it would force leftists to just realize we can't move the Democrats to the left, we have to build
1: a new party. Well, I, yeah. I certainly agree with that. But well, I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that, like, leftists, even in the absence of the Democratic Party, would feel emboldened to do that. Maybe I'm just being very pessimistic.
3: Also, there would be, like, major – there would be a need for, like, major electoral reform to have, like, more than two parties or whatever.
0: And I'm not saying I'm not saying like this is like we should necessarily be pushing for this to happen because it would be better. I guess what I'm saying is like I don't think the it's not worth it to try to like shore up the Democrats as a bulwark against the Republicans. And that even even if the Democrats fully collapsed and, you know, the Republicans develop the kind of dominance that, you know, like United Russia holds in Russia, there would there would offer there would still be opportunities to organize. And I think that the situation could be turned to our benefit.
4: Uh, if we were smart about it, there's still like like, opposition parties in Russia, for example, they're just not as big as United Russia.
1: Yeah. But the only organized opposition that we have is to the right of the Republicans.
4: Well, that's why we need to to build a movement.
1: (laughs) I agree. Like, I
0: mean, who who is the, who is the organized opposition to the right of the Republicans? Like, what are you referring to?
1: It's like the circles around national policy Institute. I mean, that's that, okay. that's stuff like but aren't
4: they any better organized than like the Trotskyists left in the US
1: they appear to be they're more influential i, mean, I don't know how they get the more judge media them. attention
4: because they have really extreme positions but like as far as like i've seen videos of them in their protests and it's like just 10 people like chanting stuff like it's they're not really doing on the ground like work yeah. i feel
1: maybe maybe or, you're right but they're they're definitely more influential than anyone comparable on the left
4: Yeah, they're they're sort of
3: winning, like, a media war right now, which is getting them attention and more followers over time. Like, they're basically able to attract the ire and the contempt of the mainstream media, which gives them, like, an edge that allows, like, more people to, like, join, like, angry youths who have really nowhere to, like, actually put their time and effort and, like, to focus their anger and that sort
2: of thing, so... They've done a really good job at uh, rebranding themselves as well. Um, I guess the left, in a certain sense, hasn't done that. that. That's a that's a big part of why I think they're getting all the new attention.
4: Yeah, because it's really just fascism, but without like the swastikas. And they realize that you know there's not going to be a neo-Nazi movement in the United States, but like they do, they are like the fascist equivalent for the United States, basically.
1: Well, it's I don't know by the same logic. It- should we be concealing our views as communists? Is it the, is there not going to be a communist movement in the United States? I mean, Isn't that conceivable? I mean,
3: I think that's a bit of a simplification about the alt right. Like with the more alt light people, they come off as either like vague, like weird racist liberals to like paleocons. Like it has yeah. like amount of variety to it and texture. Well, like and you have like fascists that don't even want to associate with the alt right because of the alt light people,
4: too. <laughs> yeah, it, the alt right is like extremely like divided, has no organizational strength. They just have like the National Policy Institute, and but there's also that guy Nathan DeMigo, the one who punched that woman at the um rally or the the Battle of yeah. Burkers, I guess we'll talk about later. He's like organizing like a white supremacist fraternity, so like. You are starting to see them try to organize but like at this point i think the organized left actually is probably stronger than the organized far right
3: yeah and also you have like proud boys which is already a fraternity white supremacist fraternity thing
2: yeah i think the rebranding does really help in that sense because like you look at matthew heinbach is it right who runs on the traditionalist workers party i think sort of the rebranding in a way helped with certain things like a Matthew Heinbach, the Traditionalist Workers' Party, and how, like, people see through him as, like, a very obvious Nazi, but with Richard Spencer, it's a little more ambiguous. Matthew what? Heinbach? Isn't he the dude who yeah, runs he's, the like, he's, Traditionalist Workers' he Party? He started
4: the White Students' Union and got, like, a whole documentary made about that by Vice. And then mm-hmm, he right. started an organization called Traditionalist Workers' Party, which is basically mm-hmm. trying to go to disaffected, like, blue-collar whites and, like, win them over to, like... Position is fascism. Yeah, like he's more definitely a Nazi. But like Richard Spencer, like I can see how like white normies could be tricked into his ideas, basically. Yeah. Like, because he tries to like make it as diplomatic and like nice sounding as possible. Peaceful
3: genocide.
4: Yeah, like peaceful (laughs) ethnic
3: cleansing. Peaceful ethnic cleansing. Fuck, man. Ethnic cleansing. Yeah, I, I screwed up his fucking Orwellian language. God damn. It.
4: <laughs> uh, so do we want to talk about Syria? Well, I think it's we have to too. We have to fight against this war that seems to be escalating. Yeah. Well, yep. You know,
0: it's weird. It, it was like one of
4: those. It's
0: one of those like another one of those like weird kind of. I don't want to say almost like historical moments that happened because like I remember here all of a sudden hearing like we're bombing Syria and it just kind of came out of the blue. Like there was no buildup. Like there was no. I mean, even with the use of the rack. Like it's definitely you saw it. They telegraphed it. But with this, it just happened like out of the blue. It's like okay, they're bombing Syria. Is, like, it just seemed like for a moment, like I seriously started thinking about like what if like nuclear war happens? You know?
3: Yeah, but this is all a false flag. Obviously, like this is just <laughs> Russia manipulating Putin to work against Russia. Obviously, to distract us from his tax returns. <laughs>
1: I mean, we should talk about the sheeple. false
2: flag
0: stuff, but, like, it was really weird how it just, like, it, it went from, like, zero to 60, like, pretty much immediately, and then all the, and, like, the follow-up from it, it was strange to watch, like, the sort of neoliberal center suddenly, like, extolling Trump. Like, when they were, like, two days ago, they were, like, suggesting that he was, like, this Manchurian candidate. But what was perhaps even stranger was to see, like, the alt-right and, like, the far-right completely break with Trump pretty much immediately.
1: That's what did it. We were, we were kind of, like, hinting at it last time we were discussing, like, the internet neutrality and, and surveillance. But this is really what did it, was bombing Syria. And it's very interesting. The alt-right has different reasons for breaking with Trump. Of course, the far Nazi right sees Syria as a bulwark against Israel and now thinks that Trump is controlled by Jews. Uh, well,
4: they're against warns. Like one of their reasons is that it creates refugees and we don't want refugees. That's a, that's an anti-war argument made by the right. And also just that Assad is like the rightful dictator of his country. And he's a, he's a, like Matthew Heimbach says that he's a national socialist, for example, like. And he's admired for that aspect of him, but More it's just—I don't know. It's just yeah, like it, the DSA hasn't really taken a clear position on it. All they said was dictators are bad, basically. Oh it's my just, god. Yeah.
2: That I mean, is it actually Fine, that yeah. is <laughs> rough. It, it
3: it's kind of funny that both like tankies and like Nazi bull types are trying to claim Assad for themselves, like. Like, you see, like, tankies now, like, trying to claim that Assad is, like, a socialist. Well, like, um, and Baathism is a legitimate form of socialism. Well, you got, like, fucking, um, Nazi bull types and Stormfront dipshits trying to claim that Assad is, like, a fucking Nazi.
1: Uh, it just gives some credence to the crazy, you know, horseshoe theory when you look at, like, Stalinism and Nazism, where yeah there is a whew, it's hard to tell contemporary marxist leninists especially from russia apart from nazbol's at this point
3: yeah there there isn't a difference it's specifically in russia there isn't like an well, actual difference
4: i actually one time told a frizzo member that like you know i was i was saying like what if the united states became balkanized because of racial conflict heating up like that would be a really bad thing and he was like no that would be the best thing ever because every like race would have their own nation and like you would have self determination for everyone and like wow yeah. that is like I'm a just... long
0: walk from like lenin's like arguing for like self determination like in like, the particular like historical context of yeah. like world war 1 yeah. like all the way to like yeah like balkanized racialized united states yeah, yeah, yeah that's
3: what lenin wanted at you least, know, like with, at least with like the left book tankies, you get a feeling that they at least want the Turner Diaries in like reverse, you know, like they they just want to, <laughs> like they want to do it in reverse. But no, no, just just have like a Balkanized white state, too. Why not self determination for the South? Let's let's do it, fam.
4: Yeah, it's just it's so weird Ooh. that people still hold to that position that, like, the South is, like, this black nation, that black people have, like, a right to, like, rule. Because, like, it's just, it's it's so demographically incorrect because so many black people have moved to the North and left the yeah. South. You don't yeah. want to go back to the South because it's, you know, Yeah. you have you found better career opportunities up North, you know? So, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, like, a ridiculous concept.
1: But, yeah, that was a... That was always something that was pushed by like the international onto the CPUSA. For the most part, there were some influential people, maybe yeah. uh, Paul Robeson. Uh, yeah. More so at that point, it was more so Harry Haywood. I don't right, think... but Paul Robeson funded Harry Haywood's book.
4: Huh. I didn't know that they were actually involved, but yeah, yeah, Harry Haywood basically went and go met met Stalin, and then they came up with like, all right, we'll just have like the South become a black nation and like we'll, we'll agitate for like a black nation in the South. And like, it was just like completely unsuccessful. Like I've read like books about the communist party and their attempts to do this. And like basically like they had the least success the more they put like the black belt nation at the forefront, like the more they did that the more they just like alienated people because it seemed like it was just,
1: it's just stupid. It wasn't popular with the party in general. It specifically wasn't popular with the black members of the party either. And this uh, CPUSA had a significant uh, black membership during the relevant period, at least for part of it. I mean, it is
4: interesting because it was like they did kind of they did a lot of good work. Well, they had that line, but none of it had to do with creating a new black nation. It was all like interclass, like trying to create like the shared croppers unions that were interracial or fighting for democratic rights for blacks in the South. It was you know, like the actual activity of the party that was good had nothing to do with secessionism. They had this like weird idea that like secessionism, if they advocated it would like make them like more popular with the black people, I guess. I don't
1: know. Yeah. It's, it's important to be able to detach like in, like good tactics from like weird theory that inspired it or something.
2: And I, that's, that's interesting. Cause um, I've read a little bit about the CPOSA and like race relations and in a certain era, I think it, didn't they um they didn't want to exactly associate with the black panther party because of their violent some of their more violent stances and uh i think i heard that's why the black panther party sort sort of moved towards uh, maoism and like third worldist sort of ideas
4: yeah like a lot of people who were upset at official communism and upset about the Soviet Union turned to, like, Maoism and, like, just a different form of Stalinism, rather than rejecting Stalinism. What about these false flag allegations about Assad? Why, <laughs> yeah, did, he this? why did he do this?
2: Why did he chemically
4: use... Why did he use chemical weapons?
2: Well, according to Tankies, he didn't. He did not use yeah. chemical weapons. I mean, the thing
4: is, like, I'm not going to, like, assume a conspiracy theory is true just because it's, you know... It fits my warped geopolitical narrative. Like, I'm not... <laughs> Which is what tankies do, I mean. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. It's I mean, what a lot of people ones. do. Yeah,
0: Alex Jones. Alex Jones and tankies together on Assad. Yeah, they, they all of them immediately are like, why would he do it? Like, he was winning the war. But it's like, I looked at a map recently of, like, the layout. And, I mean, it's... I, the, like, the Assad areas on the map are not that big. <laughs> like, I mean, how is he winning the war exactly? More than he was, you know, say, a couple months ago. I mean, I guess I know that, like, about I got America
4: on the side. I mean,
0: well, there, I know they're, I know they're set to take, uh I think, it's set to take the uh, nominal uh sit, like, capital of ISIS or whatever, and that's pretty close to happening. But that's not the entire war. I mean,
4: yeah, like it's still going to take still like, hold a
0: fuck ton of territory.
4: Whoever wins, there's going to be a long, bloody period of like consolidating power, basically. Well.
0: Well yeah, and like I, Isis is leaving like they're basically mining like everything. like it's gonna like they're been estimates like the cities that they've mined are gonna take like 30 years to clear out. like the, the wow. like the cleanup on this thing is going to be fucking atrocious. So you know <sighs> like this the, this the, this war probably won't be over for decades no matter what just because you'll be like, even if even if you wiped Isis off the map tomorrow, like the remnants of all like the shit they've left behind are just gonna be there for a long fucking time.
4: Yeah, and it's just, it's not going to end the general crisis that's going on in the Middle East. Yeah, like, when, I mean,
0: this this thing's been going on for years now, and when I first started, I have to admit, I was pretty, pretty, like, historically ignorant about, like, the or just generally kind of ignorant about the politics of the Middle East. I mean, I was probably more, like, you know, woke on this issue than maybe, you know, like, your average, you know, dude on the street or whatever. But lately, I've been reading more and more about, like, the history of, like, Arabia and like the sort of modern history of that period. And it, I've also been reading more about what's going on in Syria right now. It just seems like the accumulation of like so many contradictions of like You know, the politics, the, the geopolitics of the region, like in the last like 50 years or whatever, like it's such a clusterfuck. It's amazing.
2: I think this is a really good example of just how like fucked nation states are because um, you see there's sort of uh, understandable sentiment among people there's a sentiment among tank among everybody that like they just sort of want this war over so you have the tankies sort of saying well let's just let russia like win let's just let russia and assad win and then you have like american centrists sort of saying well let's just overthrow assad and uh support the fsa and no one really cares about the lives that are lost in between or the refugees created by it it's just sort of this weird sentiment of we just want this war over. And when they do bring
0: that stuff up, it's always like that weird, like neoliberal, like, it's just like an excuse to get people involved. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing, like the white helmets and all that like stuff is like played up in the most maudlin way to indicate, like, we got to get in there. You know? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. and, that, that's what, and that's what happened when, like, Trump went in, too. Like, he gave that whole weird speech where he was like, no child of God should have to suffer such, you know, it's just weird coming kind of, like, from Trump. because Beautiful he doesn't, you know, get, like, talking this. Yeah, he doesn't only talk in those kind of terms. Like he's, you know, that's the kind of that's always like the humanitarian, like the ideology of like humanitarian intervention, um, is usually the yeah. when when those kind of appeals to humanity come up, and it always gets channeled into like the shittiest ends.
2: Well, exactly.
1: It uh, it forces us to ask the question: What would a humanitarian response to this be? Um, I was having a conversation with some. Uh, comrades that are more, you know, abstentionist anarchists like aligned or or at least at at the very least, like not into the idea of having any kind of legislative activity. And, you know, for our current political conditions, there's a certain amount of sense to that. But when you look at an issue like a war in Syria, it makes sense that you would want to build some kind of formal legislative power um, to try to block something like this In, in any meaningful sense you could yeah, like like not that the legislatures have much to do with the declaration of a war but i can't imagine how else you like what when you look at the anti-war movement like what the anti-war movement really lacked at at very least was some kind of party that was like hardline anti-war there was no party that was going to do that that had m- mainstream appeal that had a chance in the public eye
0: well, in, in response to your question, like what would a humanitarian like intervention look like? I mean, I think we can all agree here. Like the answer is like an international workers' movement capable of acting solidarity sure. across. Okay, but it's abstracting like in, forgetting in that. In for a lieu second. of that, in lieu of that, I mean, the fact is like the different com- the different factions and combatants, um, uh, and political groupings that make up this war uh, do not have a great deal of productive capacity to create weapons, so. If they're getting these from outside, from other parties, so maybe like wow. I don't know, like an embargo on arms going into the region would probably go a long way towards de-escalating this conflict. I think
1: that's a very reasonable demand. That's very, that's a really relevant demand. I mean, I think that this war will go on for a while,
4: and it is, it's going to be really hard to actually oppose it because of how much the alt right has kind of stolen like the anti-war rhetoric. In a weird way. But um
0: it's strange. I like the like the day of the bombing is like I peeked in on a 4chan and like the whole thing just flipped completely against like Donald Trump and like people were like losing their minds and they were posting yeah. shit they were posting shit like, you know, I lost family and friends in the meme wars. I wore my MAGA hat every <laughs> day and now I did oh just feel God. like it was all for nothing, you know, and, like Yeah.
2: There's people burning their MAGA hats. They're make America Great Again hats. They're <laughs> burning them. Yeah. Yeah and it's like turning like, and and
0: the people people kept saying shit like okay paul is is pro Assad. if you want to talk about if you want to talk about pro trump you go into r trump in reddit like they are still you know like it was it was like it was like the strangest there was it was kind of like the tears i was hoping for you know like on a, election night when i was still kind of expecting hillary to win but
1: yeah you know
0: i i wish i wish i'd
1: gotten it under you know better circumstances what can I say yeah totally yeah the the fact it's is also, i mean actually, looking at they picked like a good reason to to hate Trump. Like is that he fucking killed a bunch of people with a bunch of bombs. It's a half good
4: if they would be fine in Trump in Russia where like
1: killing other people, I mean, you know, or Trump in yeah, Syria. That's, like that's, I'm not saying it's uh I'm not saying it, it comes from principles we share or something. It's just it's interesting. it, yeah, it, it is it, interesting. It <laughs> almost it yeah. almost appears noble if it wasn't for the fucked up justifications they have for why it was bad. And, yeah, it was yeah. it was against
0: Assad. That's that was really the problem. Like, was, yeah. like wasn't you know, it wasn't by bomb, he bumped like bases, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I knew he was gonna kick out Bannon too. I mean, I don't know Bannon, what does anyone know what Bannon's current status is. Oh, he's
0: still, like, a high-level advisor, but okay. he basically lost his position on the National Security Council. It seems
4: like he's and losing, now. like, out, kind of, though. He's kind of losing influence. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't he muttering around?
0: But, yeah, that's, that feeds into this whole thing, because everyone is basically arguing now that, like, Jared, you know, triple parentheses, Kushner, and Ivanka Trump are basically, like, a <laughs> globalist fifth column in the White House. And that they, they're, you know, it's the whole, like, you know, our, our our good king would be great, but for his wicked advisors, you know.
1: That's,
3: That's a hot yeah. fanfic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how it's actually just Macbeth. Like it's literally, oh, the evil, wicked queen is like whispering into the ear Holy of the shit, k- is, good man. king. <laughs> Fucking Shakespearean shit.
0: Well, no, I, I mean, I, yeah. I thought you're saying like Kushner, Kushner's Macbeth, and like he's, you know, he's like trying to usurp the power of like Trump or whatever. But it's interesting, though, like, because you're basically, it's. So okay. So we've, we've been like talking about this for a while, I think because, you know, I think as Marxists, we're kind of like habitually inclined to try to look for like a larger, like ideological superstructure, you know, that are connected to like some kind of base of like material activity. And I think we did that with, Tr- with Trump a little bit too, where we were trying to like kind of create like, you know, what is, you know, Trumpism, right? But it seems like, it's, you know, like, Steve Bannon was kind of, like, the embodiment in some ways of, like, Trumpism as a thing. And, like, Trump will just kind of go whatever way the wind blows when it comes down to it.
4: Yeah, I yeah. think, honestly, Trumpism might have been ended. I mean, he might. I think he's just going to become another, like, warmongering neocon president like Bush. And then, like, liberals will start finally getting upset once they start seeing, like, all the fucked up things Trump is doing. And they'll try to, like, co-opt the anti-war movement. But I don't know. I also think, like, I don't think peaceful intervention is really, like, I don't, I just, I'm, it's very difficult to imagine what that would look like. The best that I think we can do is to try to support refugees, prevent, like, arms from being sent to the U.S., or, I mean, from the U.S., basically. Like, there's not much else we can do, but basically just emphasize that the U.S. is, like, this war needs to be opposed. Well...
3: You would think that they would, like, try and co-opt, like, an anti- anti-war movement, but they really seem to be on this whole big Russia thing, conspiracy thing, at the moment. Yeah. Even though it's, like, obvious at this point that it's not, like, real, really, really obvious, like, we're waging a proxy war against Russia at this point, and we have been for a while now, we have been continually waging a proxy war against Russia, but apparently like trump like supporting nato and all that and like getting into trouble with fucking uh syria interve- directly intervening in syria is is not it's just a cover for like his for like the media investigating his tax returns and that sort of thing like they're going with that line at this point which is really weird and It shows, like, the extent in which, like, the Democratic Party has lost its collective
4: mind. Yeah, well, just, like, it it probably really happened was some Republican guys, some some neocons, like, they just sat him down and was like, all right, listen, Trump, you've been saying a lot of stupid shit about Assad and foreign policy, you know, stop fighting, this is the way things are going to go, stop being friends with Putin, like, just get real, like, you're president now, and, like, we will have, like, a don't know, we will do, I don't know, like, they'll, I just feel like they had to sit him down and basically just like talk some sense of him. Yeah, like like they
3: they had like the stern generals basically act as, act as his sort of metaphorical father figures, just smacking his little ass.
4: Yeah, because like the idea that Trump was going to be anti-war candidate was just ridiculous, but people bought into it, you know.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I mean go on. during during his campaign, his whole thing was like, wouldn't it be great if we had great relations with Russia again and you know, obviously when you become the executive of this like big war machine, this like thing, like you don't really get to choose whether or not you do things like that. Well, the other thing is too, like, you know, there's a whole
0: big, you know, state apparatus like that's in place to do things a certain way. And so, you know, when you try and set up uh, and a ragtag like or administration like Trump was doing early on, like that's, that's extremely difficult to keep that going. And you end up with like sloppy things like the Muslim ban that wasn't Muslim ban, even though they kind of wrote it was a Muslim ban and all this other stuff that just doesn't, doesn't work out. Does not or, you know, the healthcare debacle that did, that kind of blew up in his face a little bit, despite the fact that he's able to deflect. Um, and so like, yeah, just kind of like just getting on board with the program and just letting, the national security apparatus do what it does is a much easier way to go than trying to like administer against the, grid, yeah. you know, the the capitalist, you know, establishment. Well, the thing is that, that no this. matter what
4: Trump would have to run in favor of the capitalist class. And actually McNair had like an interesting article about this, about like, what if like Trump is serious and does end hostilities with Russia and Syria and teams up with Assad and teams off with Putin. Like, what, what will happen if that actually happens? There's still going to be imperialist contradictions that will drive people to open up new markets, and a finance capital will want to invest in. Like, power finance capital in like the political institutions at this point is so intense that like imperialism is going to be de facto policy of the United States. There's really no way that we can back off from it without overthrowing that state.
0: Yeah, you and you could see like the visible like sigh of relief. Like in kind of the neoliberal center when this took off, you know, like there's the whole, I think that uh, the poor man's Francis Fukuyama, Fareed Zakaria said like, this is the moment Trump became
3: president or whatever. Wait, yeah. I thought that quote came when he like fucking paraded out like um, the white, the like mother of like a Marine who got like killed in one of his operations. People said yeah, that about and- that too. Yeah, it was like, people said that about that too. Um. But I'm pretty
0: sure someone said that about when the Syria thing as well, and it just shows like how quickly like these people who you know who swore to like man the barricades will suddenly you know like, capitulate and be like oh I guess he's, I
3: guess he's kind yeah, of presidential. He's, he's so presidential, you know, presidential.
4: It's, yeah, it's yeah. all
3: about looking good.
4: And He's bombing me, people. Me, Wasn't why, it beautiful those bombs? Wasn't that just yeah. a beautiful thing to see? <sighs>
3: <laughs>
1: i mean it's, that, it's that just like really nauseating it's really nauseating here yeah. that just yeah.
3: brian williams stroking himself to the thought
1: of brown children dying that that's just beautiful well, the, thi- I, the, you know, the thing is he's not even thinking about like there's there's the brackets there's no point the point is to just be glistening phallic expensive uh, beautiful tributes to achievement like they're not yeah. even weapons to him this, this is the pinnacle of
3: Western civilization right here, just blowing yeah. up some fucking desolate hellhole. I think
0: I think we can all agree. I think uh, if there's any justice in the cosmos, you know, the ghost of Leonard Cohen will haunt Brian Williams until his dying day.
4: <laughs>
1: haunt the shit out of him. Uh, exactly. I
4: also had an idea, yeah. maybe like for what, what kind of demand would be humanitarian? Would just be U.S. troops out now even if it's not going to make everything great immediately, it's still going to help in the long run because our existence there is a destabilizing factor. And so, like, U.S. troops out now is the only sensible position to take. I like mine. (laughs) Uh, So, uh... I mean, there's other things we can do, too, but I think that should be, like, a key demand, is that, like, U.S. troops leave. I yeah, thought we I mean, only had, like,
3: Marines on the
4: ground, though, at this point.
2: Yeah.
3: And...
2: No more bombs. No more bombs. Make sure to have that much of a... Yeah, the bombings is an easy one to uh, yeah. call against, but uh, I don't know if we have a large troop presence there. Well, we have the YPG.
4: <laughs> oh. this <True. True.
2: laughs> pig, save me. You know, well, we I mean, I got to just lost the right?
4: anarchist
3: viewers.
0: I yeah, yeah. I, have, I have I have a hard time completely condemning the YPG. Yeah. I mean, obviously from yeah. like a Marxist internationalist standpoint, yeah. Be, but I mean, given the, I mean, I'll, they really are probably making the best of like a pretty shitty situation.
1: I mean, like, what the fuck let's let's. Let's be real. In the twenty first century, as far as Marxists go, YPG, you know what? They're
4: pretty serious. Like- <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't get over what they used to be too. And just like I they were, they, they were like they like named like a cafe after Trump, and they're like one of their co op cafes was like Trump Cafe. <laughs> like they are totally like capitulating the U.S.
1: imperialism. Like well- I'm not saying. You that's that's, com- that's common in, in Kurdish nationalism because... Well, um, yeah, but it's, it's bad. Like, well, <laughs> well, of course of it's bad. Mean, the, the United States is the Kurds okay, in the first okay. Gulf War. Of, of course it's bad. But Okay, yeah, to be bad. fair, fair.
3: the, the, the Kurdish people have this wonderful tendency to be gassed or like just murdered constantly. So that sort of... Like ethnic nationalism is sort of like understandable, and I don't right. even think oh yeah, right I people... totally
4: understand it. And like uh, I, I'm not denying there's not like national rights, and I don't even think that
1: should be recognized. Obviously, but I mean, and and, and also like uh, you, you know, the United States happened to take out Saddam Hussein, and Saddam Hussein was their Hitler for you know, for, and despite the fact yeah. that the United States also rallied them up and allowed them to get slaughtered. Um, I don't know. I could understand in a, in a yeah. weird, perverse cunning of history way their acceptance of United States nationalism as some kind of perverse, you know, anti Saddam kind of. Well, and
0: they need, they need, they're they're, de- they're clearly desperate for an end game, as they should be. Because yeah. without some kind of major geopolitical backer, they're dead in the water. You know, and even with the United States, which has been historically unreliable for them. Like, you know, I mean, I yeah, kind of. They're, gra- they're grasping at straws because, I mean, who, who's going to come to their aid? Russia?
4: Yeah. Mean, I, but think about China? this. Imagine that the, there actually is like a Kurdish republic established. Like if you look at the map of the area, it's going to require displacing like a lot of Arab tribes. Uh-huh. They actually yeah. do develop like a Kurdish republic. And so I can actually see it becoming like an Israel-type situation of like settler colonialism where like well, they're, basically they're... like the U.S. government well, is backing up like the settlers. Yeah from what i'm
0: they're they're claiming well they're claiming to be like a like a multi-ethnic like confederation
3: basically yeah yeah there's like arabs fighting in the white there's like arabs
2: fighting among their forces i mean ethnic nationalism that's the thing with ethnic nationalism is like it's always understandable like it comes from a real sentiment like it comes from a real material condition they live in but i mean it's obviously being channeled in something that it's counterproductive. So I mean, I well, think yeah. that's where it ends.
0: And I'm not saying like we as communists should endorse it or whatever or say because this situation is right. fucked anyway. But I'm just saying I, on a personal level, like I I, I kind of feel for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, you
1: know, like,
4: like I wouldn't sure. like yeah. you know, I wouldn't. I don't know. I would. I I, I, I that, have like, friends of friends. A hard line issue.
1: I have friends of friends who like enlisted in this, and one of them died. Like this is this is like a really uh, it's, it's it's really interesting so I, I know people that you know care about this on a deep level and are like kind of obsessed with it a little bit and like i it's they're part of a grand marxist tradition of projecting like all of your hopes for the communist future that you don't see immediately yeah um onto a international struggle and despite you know whatever else is going on in the struggle like that you transpose all the importance onto that instance of, of, of struggle. And because of the, you know, communist elements here that, I mean, that was enough for people to fucking enlist. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that we should like, that we have to endorse it. I I don't really understand. I don't understand how in, in endorsing something like that wouldn't play into. Like, like national policy interests and, and that kind of thing. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I it's don't know. A, I don't know why we have to issue a statement on whether we support Kurdistan, like right, right. I mean, I'm just
0: yeah, I'm I'm just. I mean, obviously, when you you know, tend to like endorse things that you see as positive, you know, you're, you're like a yeah. communist. But yeah, I mean, the problem is you don't have to take like a position on like literally everything that happens, you know?
4: Right. Which yeah of course but i think like against the project of building like a uh, kurdistan we should argue for like a pan middle eastern workers republic with full rights for all nationalities because i think like we should support creating larger more centralized states rather than some s- smaller states seceding like the and so having I mean, like like, just like a, a a multi like national like republic would be like a huge step forward in the middle east it's yeah just, i mean like,
0: no, that, that that's absolutely correct and you know basically that would pretty much equal like the end of israel
4: <laughs> oh exactly know. like i think that's how it, like that's, right. that's how i think the palestinian problem will have to be solved i don't think that it's it's not going to happen without a larger movement that can back them up and
1: yeah yeah exactly uh, is it, is anybody familiar with the state of the arab labor movement no um, not right now hmm i know there were a lot of strikes cause... and stuff
4: around the arab spring but like so much industry in Syria is probably like under control of Assad and like
1: or ISIS yeah. in
4: terms of their heads. So cuz that's a big I,
1: variable there in that, you know, war, you know, pan you know, to continent-wide like workers republic like solution. Uh, that's the that's an important variable. Well yeah. there's a million you know, barriers
0: to it happening, but it—I it, mean, honestly, some kind of like broader, like Arab political integration would d- go a long way towards stabilizing the region. Yeah, even and if
4: it, yeah, like, even, even in the worst, absence like, a of workers', workers probably, or a dictatorship of the proletariat, like it would still be preferable to what's going on now.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess that's why there was an Arab Spring. There was sort of like a movement of the squares because, I don't know, I just total speculation maybe there's been some kind of drift in you know like labor politics there as well uh it doesn't seem like that they have the same kind of rights to to democratically organize and so yeah it's it's, it's difficult and despite what really romantic people uh say that just because something's illegal doesn't mean it you know then it just oh, you know it drives up the dangerous so you know people just have to do it like that's not necessarily how that works sometimes yeah. it really works
0: sometimes yeah it really we're not we're sorry. not a miseration theorist oh yeah um, exactly do we want to talk about like Alex Jones's family court problems or yes next on Alex Jones family court <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, Alex Jones is in family court fighting for like the like the custody of his uh, the kids from like his his previous marriage or whatever. And the whole antics of it are like his basically it's came out like his entire case hinges on him arguing that, you know, his persona on the radio is kind of an act. People are like, "See, it proves that, you know, he's just a charlatan." And, you know, he even himself himself admits that it's just an act. But I think there's actually evidence that came out recently in the trial that it's not an act um he was basically called to the stand uh, to talk about because you know there's footage of him like smoking weed or whatever and he basically said that i only smoke weed once a year to monitor its strength and then he goes <laughs> off to...
1: no but then <laughs> same
0: <laughs> but then he goes on to argue that um George Soros is involved in making the marijuana stronger in order to like pacify the population. So, okay, here's a guy. Why is it always
1: the Jews? Yeah. Why is it always the Jews, Henry? What's wrong with them?
0: Here's a guy whose family court defense exists is predicated upon his radio his personality being a construct for his radio show. Meanwhile, when they put him on the witness stand, he can't help himself. And he has to launch into like this conspiracy about why George Soros is making the weed board dang. Like he just can't help himself. Like it has to be real.
1: Happy 420 if this was,
0: Yeah. If, if this was, if, if Alex Jones was an act, he would have been able to like sit still and keep his mouth shut and, you know, just kind of be like a regular ass suburban dad. But no, like you put him on the witness stand,
4: he's going to fucking ramble about
0: George Soros.
4: Yeah, I saw yeah. the footage of him smoking weed with Joe Rogan, and he just went no off way. on this insane rant, like that. He was just started talking about like extra dimensional pedophile, twelfth dimension. Yeah, like it was, it was crazy stuff. And then he like started going on about how like, oh, we were, we were ever, the moon landing was fake, but we actually didn't go to the moon. Like we actually went to the moon, but the moon landing everyone thinks is the real
2: moon landing was fake. So he's, I don't know. <laughs> His wife actually <laughs> yeah. also said that the wife went to the stand and she's like oh uh, yeah he's fucking crazy this is real
1: apparently he took off his shirt during um like marriage counseling or family counseling oh, yeah. to prove that he has increased male vitality because of his pills is that like real? His male vitality pills like like no, no no apparently this is really you can look up more things apparently he forgot an essential piece of information about one of his children because and I quote he had a bowl of chili for lunch um, apparently it just gets deeper and deeper and you really see that I mean on the one hand okay there's like a sadistic glee in seeing this far right crypto anti-Semite you know being like exposed as a nut job on the other hand we have found a, ser- a sincere man in politics. We have, we have found one.
0: Well, I mean, no, I really hope. I really hope his ex wife wins this court case because can you like imagine of having course, Alex Jones as your yeah. dad. No, like, when I, as soon as I heard he had
3: kids, I was like, Jesus,
0: <laughs> Jesus baby. Christ.
3: I wonder what no, the like, male vitality pills did to like the kids though.
1: Oh.
0: Can you imagine like playing soccer and like Alex Jones is your dad and like sitting on the sidelines <laughs> like
1: you gotta put Timmy in, okay, okay. <laughs> oh God! Fucking transdimensional lizard child molesters won't let Timmy play third base.
4: <laughs> Alex
0: Jones actually, actually, his, his kids. I think his kids are homeschooled, which you know.
4: Oh that's yeah, of of course. Like, Oh God! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like someone like Alex Jones is going to oh not gonna let his God. kids go to the new world order. To the States yeah. <laughs> schools, yeah, the, fluoride, he, put his fluoride he, in the water. He drove by the elementary
0: school and saw like the extensions that were like trailers and said, "Nope, no trailers. I don't, you know." Oh. <laughs> that's, that's got FEMA written all over it.
2: Too many <laughs> helicopters in the area. You're not going here. Jeez. I actually right. thought, I actually thought he might be a fake. Because of the way he interacts with other crazy people, like when he goes on Joe Rogan, he sort of just says I'm a states rights libertarian. When he's with Jesse Ventura, he's like I believe the Illuminati is real. And then when he's with David Ike, he's like the Illuminati is real, and they're also reptiles and satanists.
0: Yeah, so. but you got you gotta watch that Rogan episodes because he gets ripped, and he just goes off into like David Ike it. level. Yeah,
3: David Ike level. Yeah, it was yeah.
2: absolutely insane. Yeah, there he's got epic, like a whole fuck.
3: metaphysics to it too. He's got like light yeah, history, is a battle between light and dark, and uh, yeah, all that. And he's got wow. this
4: like he's actually, but the thing is, he's like anti-racist in this weird way. Like, obviously, he's like really crypto-antisemitic, <laughs> and he obviously does like a lot of like typical conservative dog whistling. But like him and David Teague, David Duke came on his show, and like. Like he was actually like condemning David Duke for like being racist, saying it's like you're dividing us, you know, against the globalists. I don't care what race you are, if you're against the globalist monster, <laughs> wow. like, you can join. And then like, and then I guess he, he he got mad at David Duke for talking about the Jews too much. It's like he's he just goes like, just do this, do that, you know, you blame everything on the
2: Jews. Like maybe there are some Jews that are good. Everything about that, and like, <laughs> no, the, wow. the best the best <laughs> Alex Jones anti racist praxis is definitely when he had the Black Lives Matter march. In front of an abortion clinic because they're killing. Oh my the God! Kids. Hey, man. Hey, oh. Alex. Alex. Alex Jones. So said bad. Word,
0: Alex Jones said the words "Black Lives Matter." Okay, he's responding <laughs> to our movement. Yeah. No,
2: Bernie wouldn't God. do it. Bernie wouldn't do it. So. Yeah. I don't know. You know I feel like go. Alex. I'm glad that the
4: left doesn't really have an Alex Jones type celebrity, though. As far as I know. We, 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 that, we, that, do that, need, that does
0: that does need to be a Twitter <laughs> account, woke Alex Jones.
1: Whoa, God, well, we're right, we do yeah. need at least some kind of someone doing that. That is important. The left does need that. Why? I, I don't know because we're spectacular. That's pretty Jeez, much. I mean, it. I'm all about but like having. Like, whatever. I mean, I'm about we, having
4: like UFO wars like level
1: like. Production. We
3: can have like Cigarello,
1: <laughs> like he's an anti faxer <laughs> <laughs> Look, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, know like, someone. I know wars someone who thought about this in depth. That you could go a lot further than that.
4: But, I mean, if you look at InfoWars production values, they've gone up quite a bit. They have, like, their own studio. They have paid reporters who go and, like, interview people at events and stuff. Like, they've become, have... become a one real media to... enterprise.
1: Yeah, one of us has to get employed by InfoWars, yo. <sighs> yeah, InfoWars entryism. Yo, come i don't, on. I don't come want to live in texas yeah that's 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 that. that's not how <laughs> you know infowars sf correspondent i'll i'll be monitoring the level of estrogen <laughs> and fluoride in the
2: water All clt right. will sign on to infowars we'll make yeah. sure there's no google fiber in our city yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we'll make sure no, that the plastic
1: bottles
3: aren't turning your kids transgenders <laughs> <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, then he also say that like the frogs are becoming gay because of like I don't know like <laughs> yeah. something in the water. God, he's but so frogs. reactionary. The frogs but gay. he is fucking hilarious. I'll give him that. He but is. it's it's not an act. I guess yeah. like, it seems like he really is like yeah. just thinks he's just cool. a crazy no, guy. He, out you know, on he's, no, he's he's literally
0: sitting in court. Him. And his court case hinges on it being bullshit and then he immediately like tears into the, like a conspiracy theory when prodded about it.
3: Okay, let me play devil's advocate for a moment and just say maybe he values his like media career over this court case. Like it's totally possible Oof. that he's just in, in this shit for the money and he realizes if he actually wins this court case – they are, and they successfully argue that you know he's just doing it as an act. Then his career is basically ruined. But he, so but he his lawyers
0: didn't have to submit that as an argument, though. That's the thing. Like his lawyers didn't actually have to put that up as a defense. Like they could have said something else.
2: Yeah, like, he's you know, an, an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's it's common. It's very common for people to say my client is a performance artist, and have the the client contradict them. You know, like so. I think it's just. It's just clear that in this case, the contradiction is very, it's like, it's a very sincere, very obviously true. Whereas, you know, when Negative Land or or the Yes Men do it, you know, it's a little different.
4: This would be a very easy, like, Law and Order episode to write. I was wondering if you, do do we want to talk about the whole Antifa versus fascist, like, I don't know, escapade that happened? Oh, been a of, not, there, to be deme- not to mean like people who were harmed by fascists, obviously, but like I don't know. But that was that was a kind of a big thing in the left when it happened. Well, I, I know the
0: first round that the first skirmish that I saw where they were pouring milk on that dude, like before that. And there was that one dude with like the shield who became like an alt-right meme or whatever.
4: Yeah, um, I, I remember when I first like, saw like the, beast stick dude or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember when I first saw the Stream of it, like it really did look like some kind of like ran fair, like melee or like alt right or, or like a uh, LARPing shit. It really looked like LARPing, like in yeah. a, a serious way. I, I I feel like with like, with think like, these alt right people like adopting like militant, like quasi black box tactics, like it's all you know, it's only a matter of time before somebody's literally out there with like chain mail and like a helmet. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a matter of time. It's to
2: yeah, I you know mean.
4: I mean, I'm not going to, like, say that, oh, you know, the people who fought against them and were were bad people. But I think that, like, the collective left as a whole needs to critically examine, like, Black bloc and Antifa as the crux of its strategy, basically. Because what I think is basically happening is, like, the new form of protest hopping where, like, a bunch of leftists just, like, follow Nazis around. And whenever they have rallies, like, they just get into a big fight and it just becomes – it's just – the leftists didn't even, like, win that fight. In Berkeley recently you know like they they did not actually like win territory over the Nazis it was just like a a stupid like gang fight
0: well you know Nazis know how to read pamphlets too and like when your tactics entirely hinge upon like DIY like pamphlet like get an affinity group mask up you bring some milk so you can clean out your eyes if there's pepper spray you know like all that stuff like that's something that's very easy for somebody else you know to just kind of pick up and go with you yeah. know it's not yeah i mean yeah, it's, it's not surprising tactic. that they're, they're yeah it's not surprising that they're grabbing onto it i mean now oh, they yeah, yeah.
3: definitely yeah i mean i mean from what i saw they didn't really do like many black block tactic tactics like they did the milk thing because that was a fucking meme with them for a while like yeah they just the, happened to have some on hand yeah they just happened the purest to have- liquid like you saw, like pictures of like these guys with beer bellies wearing like Spartan helmets and shit like that. Yeah. It just it—it it was a beautiful experience all around. Like, Ugh. say what you will about the effectiveness of like such spectacles. It's just like it's a beautiful experience. Like, deeply moving to watch these. I mean, I—I I, I kind shit. of agree. I, I,
1: I was guided by say... the story of our larpers.
4: <laughs> I think that I think that it's a sign that real politics is happening, basically. The fact that people are actually fighting in the streets over politics, that's a that's kind of different from what normal American society has been like. like but like these people have can, like these people really don't have any power
0: though. They have no contru- they don't have any like Trump owes them nothing. He's completely, you know, stabbed him in the back. Like what are they even doing? Like what is this even any of this supposed to accomplish? Like They're
1: doing the same thing the mean, left is doing. They got locked out of politics and they know it now. Yeah, and, so
4: they're just LARPing,
1: basically and yeah. doing just normal activism. Like
4: they're just I, trying I, I, to do what the left does.
1: I I, I don't want to like, you know, false to position here because, you know, if you live in Berkeley and a bunch of fascists are descending on Berkeley, you know, you can't just kind of let them go. Like there's there's yeah. something that's got to be done, but and but we're like up, we're up. Yeah, we're not here Uh, we're just like you know just no i understand i support it i understand you know know, obviously we we, it's like it's hard to imagine what what you can do in like a situation like this um that that isn't going to escalate into a shit fest and the thing is like the fact that uh fascists won the shit fest doesn't actually make them look good in the public eye they look like they won like a loser competition
3: Like they punched a woman. They punched a woman very
1: publicly. And, you know, with all due respect to Antifa on the loser competition thing, like, you know. Seriously, like...
3: Nobody wins in these fights, though. 90% of the time, nobody wins. I mean, the thing
4: is, Antifa have, like, a a, the whole ideology has an idea of winning. Like, it's to take space away from fascists. And so, they did not succeed at that basic objective. And so... It kind of showed that, like, the, just the left today is not, we were fucked, we need to, you know, get our shit together for we're actually going to fight this rising tide of reaction.
3: Like, it, it, I think a perfect moment that encapsulated the whole experience is when they were, like, pushing a trash can back and
2: forth. Oh, yeah, fighting over garbage. It's a very good summation. Yeah, fighting over literal garbage. But I think it's, I think oh. this is a very good, like, sort of a... Uh, A good show of like how this is kind of feel-good politics on both sides because it's um antifa sort of fighting this not totally existent like big fascist movement and then also fascists getting to say that they're fighting the degeneracy that's ruining western culture like it's kind of both it's masturbation for, for both sides sort of
0: yeah, mutual masturbation. Yeah,
2: because I times. can't.
4: But I, I can't imagine being a leftist and being like happy about what happened. Like I'm, I'm not happy about how it ended up. It was just, no, it no. Just made, it just made us. It made the. It made the left look stupid in the public eyes.
1: Yeah, and, and and people that took part in it on that were on the left were physically harmed and you know spent the night in jail and all the. All the classic stuff without any, you know, symbolic victories to wave around. Yeah, like, exactly. It was just some just, big It's all sacrifice. around bad. It's all around like a, a yeah, it was a, it was a loss.
4: I mean, I think it just throws the question the whole idea that you can build a movement around the anti-fascism itself. Because it seems like that's what a lot on the left want to do is they want to kind of cash in on this opposition to Trump and its opposition to far-right politics and kind of ride that train to significance and but, like again, the whole
0: Syria thing just like exposes like how incoherent like the base of of like Trump is. like they don't there's there's you know, like fascism requires like a broader organized movement like up outside the the state itself, like upholding it. But these you know like the, the fascist base of like trump's support, they don't have Trump owes them nothing. He. He isn't organizing them. Like, you know, even, you know, their their guy, you know, in the White House, Steve Bannon, like, he's losing influence. I mean,
4: huh. it's... it's Jake, it's like, for leftists, like, fascism is like the F word. It's like, anything that's really bad, it's fact. Yeah, I know that. I know. And so, either way, no matter if Trump becomes just like a really shitty neocon George Bush 2.0, he's, you yeah, know, we're still going to yeah, be they calling said, they, said, they said They
0: said, they said yeah. Bush was Hitler. They said, right, everyone's Hitler.
1: Everyone yeah, you don't yeah. like is him. yeah, but now now it's kind of slipped out of plausible range again, as it often does. That, yeah, that it might it might go
3: back. You know, Trump goes Trump goes where he will. Uh, oh, also, a thing with anti Trumpism is a lot of the motivation is like anti Russian sentiment to like weird structural anti Semitism. Revolving around like Russian banks influencing American politics and Trump's politics in particular.
0: Rog, Russian occupation government. <laughs> yeah,
4: I mean that's what the conspiracies are like. That just are basically like Russia yeah. secretly playing the cards and controlling America now. Like, R-
3: Rachel, Rachel Maddow literally described the Russians as like broken-nosed, all arcs so you know you got yeah squatting, squatting in, in her tracksuit, <laughs> broken nose yeah she, she actually like to... co- like she's literally conjuring up like vaguely anti-semitic imagery
1: that's not vaguely anti-semitic broken nose is just very very classically anti-semitic that's phenomenal yeah
3: it's beautiful well we know oh. what the
4: we know what the land of the dirty slobs brought us. They brought us that the barbaric force of Bolshevism that, you know, was so bad for humanity, you know. Yeah, Bolshevism with echoes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well actually
4: yeah, that's, that's, been a, that's a classic conspiracy theory is that Bolshevism is just like a form of Zionism or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I it's, it's, I it, was. it was funded by Wall Street. Yeah, and Leon Trotsky, you know, cause, because the Bolsheviks had Jews in their central committee. Therefore, you know it was some huge conspiracy, you know. Mm. It's not just because, you know, Jews were oppressed in Eastern Europe and wanted to fight the czar, so they joined groups like the Bolsheviks, you
1: know. Yeah, and mm-hmm. world. So the world wars were really a European civil war between international Jewry and the national um, national autonomy of European peoples. Yeah, that's, that's the rub. That's, that's a narrative Western that was kind of um
4: that was yeah that was kind of a narrative that a lot of the white reactionaries pushed actually during the Russian Civil War. That it was like the liberals and like the old regime or what remains what needed. Need to like team up and prevent this like despotism from like forming and becoming a thing because it will, you know, it will fuck all of us over.
0: So, beyond beyond all this bullshit, on April 6th, uh, there was actually a uh, one day general strike in Argentina. Bet you guys hadn't even heard about that. Yep, they didn't hear about it wow. until we no, brought didn't
4: it didn't up. Hear about it. Yeah, so, Argentina. how many yeah. people on strike does it say?
0: Um, I'm not saying, but it was, it included like, uh, truck and bus drivers, teachers, factory workers, airport employees, governments, customs agents, um, who run all, Argentina's all important grains export sector, walked off the job at midnight for 24 hours. Um, they did it ahead of a meeting of the world economic forum in Buenos Aires. Uh, they were also doing it to protest the government and, uh, austerity measures that, you know, like many, uh, governments that are attempting to be implemented, um. So yeah, so here's an authentic expression of uh, workers' power, uh, happening beyond this kind of uh, Baudrillardian nightmare simulacrum that we're currently inhabiting in the left, at least in the United States today. Um, yeah. So good on, good on you, good on you, Argentina. Way, way, way to hold it down for us.
1: Yeah. Please clap. <laughs> yeah, please clap. Uh, yeah. About 15 years ago, there was a. Uprising in Argentina that was sort of pluralistic, and once, once I asked one of the um, more well-known communizers what their vision of revolution was, and they pointed to that moment. So that, you know, I we should know more about Argentina.
4: Well, I mean, they had a rich history of class struggle in the fora, for example, but they also had, and because it was like a lot of there's a lot of immigration in Argentina, but like. Unlike in America, they wanted, like, people from, like, European countries that were considered, like, less white, basically, because they saw them as, like, being useful. And so there's a weird, like, dynamic of, like, the immigrant workers and the native workers in Argentina, like, working together. And I think at one point, um, Hmm. the four of the, one of, I think a a faction of it, at least, like, actually supported, like, anti-immigration stuff. Got it yeah they were like an anarchist trade union. A lot of modern yeah. day anarchists like, kind of pointed them as like a model we should be following. And I, you know I'm not you know saying
1: that it's like inherently flawed because of what they
4: did historically, but
1: no, it's interesting. I, I, I do think it's interesting. It does point and, to what a, you know, I don't know what a revolution with several different like types of working class power bases would look like.
4: Yeah, and just different political factions and how they can cooperate and, like, function as a democracy and not just, like, kill everyone who disagrees with the strongest party. (laughs) Right,
2: right, right. So is this, um, would you guys sort of consider this better than a lot of the recent, like, one-day sort of pop strikes we've had in America? Like, Day Without Women, Day Without an immigrant.
0: Well, yeah, people literally walk off the job.
2: Yeah, people actually shut down production mm -hmm. when you're, like...
4: Yeah, Yeah, it's like a totally different thing.
3: Yeah, it's like it's like comparing like a lemon to Ferrari, you know?
2: Well, sort of, but but it was just planned for one day, right? I mean, it's it's a show of strength. I get that.
4: Yeah, one day strike is you know a show of strength, and it also is politically motivated, which shows like there's a lot of class consciousness there. Like it's not. And it is
0: again, it is literally a strike. Like it's not just. It was something yeah. that they actually organized and then they did it. And then they did what yeah. they said they were gonna do. Like
4: when they did yeah. the day without an immigrant, like I think really like the most of it was that like some petty bourgeois like shopkeepers who are immigrants like didn't open their shop that day.
0: Mm. Well so in like, the original from what I understand in the in its defense, the original Day Without an Immigrant when they did it the first time was a lot more legit. Yeah, it was um, a lot more successful. They actually did
1: have work stoppage. Yeah, that was part of a like a labor effort, I believe.
4: But it's like, you know, there's a tendency in modern day left, like in the anti-Trump left or whatever you want to call it, where like a day of action where everyone goes out and protests is like labeled
1: as a strike. Instead of like, oh, we get a strike against yeah. Trump. Mm-hmm. There's something insightful about it because their vision of social change is coming from the mass strike tradition. Um, now, it's is this literally a strike? You know, maybe not. But there is a sense in which as a political day of action, there's some kind of call. They're kind of missing what union strikes are traditionally about, which is like organizing things beforehand. And a lot of times when people are pressed on this, they'll say, well, you know, look at this and this thing that happened during these days of action. That was clearly coordinated and, you know. To which our response would be something like, right, you know, one would want to do that before calling the strike.
3: Well, it comes from the occupied tradition of ad hoc drum circles. It's a long tradition.
1: It's it's a much longer tradition. There's been drum circles for hundreds of years.
0: Yeah, man, that's what the tribes used to do. We're just getting back to, like, our authentic humanity.
2: Hey, 420 was yesterday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so Argentine workers for, you know, holding it down and advancing the class struggle while we have our heads up, our collective lasses, we salute
1: you. So yes, clap. Thank, you thank you for your sacrifices, comrades. Yes, we salute you from, from trapped within the belly of the nuclear phallus. It's yeah, as a, as a fifth column within this world. Imperialist has on, We congratulate you. <laughs>
2: They have taken untold millions That they never toil to earn But without our brains and muscle Not a single wheel can turn We will break their haughty power Gain our freedom when we learn That the union makes us own. The course is solidarity forever. Solidarity forever.
0: That's it for this week. Uh, a couple of quick apologies. We had a hiatus last week that was largely unplanned. Uh, came as a result of the Easter holiday, but we should, going forward, have continual weekly episodes for the foreseeable future. There were also a few audio problems on this episode. Our typical recording method is basically just to rip the audio that we do off of Google Hangouts, but the program was acting awfully strange this recording. We will be adjusting our recording methods going forward to try to bring you something a little higher quality in terms of the audio. So, something to look forward to there. If you want to write to us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, give us a like on Facebook, or leave us a review on iTunes. Oh, by the way, next time we'll actually be uh, completing our discussion of The Social Revolution by Karl Kautsky and then after that we will be looking at the transitional program by Trotsky. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of
4: tomorrow.